Hey, welcome back to the Protectors Podcast. Excellent guest today and excellent co-host. First, let me introduce you to my co-host, Steve Hallman. He is a LEO. We'll say he's an LEO. He is also a host of the Interrupted Podcast. And today we're joined by Brian Kilmeade. Brian's been on a show a couple of times. And I love talking to him about his books because I am I, I just love history and I love the solid history books that Brian puts out. Today we're going to be talking about the president and the freedom fighter. I have the hardback edition, but we're going to be talking about the new edition, the paperback, which is pretty solid. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, what's happening? Thanks for having me on. Well, I love having you. I love talking to you, man. So this relationship between Lincoln and Douglas, it's it's almost semi-contentious, but they have a lot. They're They're really trying to bridge the gap, it seems to me, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, they never had a chance to meet face to face, but uh, you had Frederick Douglass, and who is someone like Lincoln, overcoming tremendous odds, greater odds because he was actually enslaved. But Lincoln, just uh, mom dies young, abject poverty, middle of nowhere. Dad doesn't uh, want him to go to school. He is insisting on finding a way to educate himself and essentially self-educated. Same thing with Douglass. But when they finally are on the cusp of uh, half the country's free, half the country's not. He saw potential with this, this, uh, this failed senator, this lawyer, and his reputation that he could straighten things out. He became president and didn't walk in and emancipate the slaves and allow them to fight uh, in the Union Army. He was disappointed. He was angry. And he would write it because he had a newspaper. You know, you're the newspaper. You're the columnist. You're the owner. You can write whatever you want. And I think it's the whole thing with you know, with, if you don't know somebody and they do something you don't agree with. You're more tolerant than it's people you uh, consider friends and allies. You have very little patience for them because you think they're letting you down. You hold your friends to a higher standard. And even though they hadn't met, when he ended up being like everybody else to get along early, uh, Douglas was disenchanted. It's absolutely. I can see that. It's the same way today. And, you know, one thing about your writing, it's it's different. You know, you would expect, hey, Brian, kill me, Fox blah, blah, blah. But you write in a way that doesn't incite it. Just say, Hey, these are facts. This is what's going on. How do you write something like, that? how do you get past well, number one? I start with that bias and that's, what's good about, uh, the great news is, is when you have people that write their biographies, you, you know, he's, he's out of slavery a couple of years, he writes his biography. So it just cuts out the middleman, it lays the groundwork. And then when you get a biographer in or you get documents that pop up, you relate it to what they said. And look, people on their own story might not have it right. I mean, we could not confirm that his mom came and visited him in the middle of the night. Uh, so we don't even know if that was something that he envisioned or he uh, hypothesized, but we don't know that he ever saw his mom. There's a few things that went on that sometimes you might undersell or oversell things that happen if you were to write your biography right now. But when you can read a whole book that you could quote, it's a great foundation. Same with Booker T. Washington, writes up for slavery and working on that now. And I said, okay, that's my foundation his view on his life and then the outsiders add to it uh, you know i love that i loved how because i've read a few of your books and i've had a few of your books because you've been on the show and they are solid foundation in real true history that this is it you're getting the information from the sources 
you're not coming up with conjecture. You're not making up history. So this new book has a it's ref- has a little bit more into it, right? Yeah, what we did is I tried to pick up after the assassination. I believe that John Wilkes Booth did more damage to this country than any other single human being, including today. More damage by far. Because if you you know how the transition from north-south to one country, how bad it went, because we had a racist um, uh, as a vice president who became president. And this guy had no interest in making the South go along with what they had promised. And he said, basically, you know, do what you want. And that's why you had, uh, you know, you had soldiers in full uniform preventing blacks from voting for years after in Confederate uniforms. That's why you had the, the birth of the Ku Klux Klan that Grant had to send in the army. Johnson had no problem with it. You know, so we watched these convulsions. And I believe that if John Wilkes Booth, uh, that loser actor, did not do what he did in 1860, we would not have needed the 1960s. And I based it on the more I read about Grant. If you read what an extraordinary guy Grant was, uh, I'm not saying he was perfect, but just he had honesty, honesty and integrity, understood what the country needed. He was lauded at his time, not just for being a general, but being a president around the world. If you put Grant with Douglas, with Lincoln, and they knew exactly what the South needed, working in the same direction, it would have been a different story. Instead, Johnson becomes president, sidelines Grant, tells Douglas to jump in a lake. Douglas, Douglas knows from the time he walked on the podium just for the second inaugural, when Johnson looked at him with hate in his eyes, he's like, well, that's a guy I can't deal with. Hope I never have to see him again. Next thing you know, Lincoln's dead and, and he has to see him. And that access and influence that he had disappears because he was black. And that's was a lot, the attitude a lot in the South. But man, did that change? It had to change over generations because the way people were brought up in the town and the culture in which they were born, nothing to do with them. But to put in perspective, I just think that that comes across. If you could have teamed Douglas and Douglas, one of those plans was to flood the South with housing as well as teachers to make sure the African-Americans had a transition to the real world. Because without a transition, what are they going to do? And years later, Booker T. Washington and people like General Armstrong would start black-only colleges, which we now uh, we now see still thriving today. But they were necessary back then. And what they did, I thought, in Tuskegee and in others, they would teach blacks not only to read and write and to be a scholar, but to be craftsmen, to have a skill. Because if you have a skill, you can't. You can always be valuable to yourself or somebody else. Don't let people hire and fire you. Be too valuable to ignore. Excellent. You know, I I still believe that today. You know, as someone who has as much education as you could possibly imagine, I find myself thinking that maybe it's not enough. I I don't have a tangible skill. You know, that's one thing about when you're in the service, you get out of the service, and you're telling, so what do I do next? But that's true. It's like if. You have to have these educational institutions. You have to have tech schools. You have to have a path forward. Now, when you're doing your research with this and your team's doing a research, what did you find the most surprising about these two gentlemen? Well, number one, I want to get context because people tell, pull something out of Lincoln and and they'll say, well, he was a racist too. Excuse me. Let's go back in time. What year is he living in? Now, he never really had much exposure to the black culture where that's all Frederick Douglass had to know anything about the white culture. And then he would integrate him, uh, integrate himself, and then go to the north, and then it was all there. The thirst for education, unbelievable. 
I mean, we sometimes just want our kids to ask for extra help. That shows uh, that shows a drive. What about somebody that would barter, do chores, anything just to get somebody's homework, to be able to do their homework, to be able to look over their shoulder as they got a reading lesson? That's what Frederick Douglass and Lincoln thirsted for education. Number two, they had great humility. They always thought they could learn from people, and they did. And number three is they were a person who was subjected to being up in their times. So it became pretty clear to Lincoln that he believes everyone should be free like Benjamin Franklin, but he didn't think everybody was equal. And he'll say that, you know, everybody has the right to be equal. If anybody thinks it's okay to have slavery, why don't you try being a slave? But I'm not saying blacks and whites are equal. And you see that in the Douglas, Lincoln-Douglas debate because uh, Douglas doesn't believe that not Frederick Douglas, Stephen Douglas, who everyone thought was going to be president when they're gunning for the same Senate seat. You know, Stephen Douglas is like, are you kidding me? You know, they're not equal and they, you know, their freedom should come eventually. And Lincoln's like, no, it should come now. Look at the Constitution. But I don't think there should be equality. And they said, there's a racist. Take Lincoln off the school, that grammar school down the block. No. What is very interesting is how both men evolved. They're not a finished product. Before your eyes, you watch them evolve. You know, when Frederick Douglass came to understand, as I put in the afterward, began to understand after a while, like, I know why Lincoln took his time and the Emancipation Proclamation, allowing uh, the 13th Amendment to pass through and then the 14th Amendment to come through. Now I know, because the country wasn't there yet. In a matter of years, we'd get there. Unions taking some losses. Blacks want to fight for their freedom. How long are we going to say no? Let's say yes and see what happens. We build some of the finest units that ever fought. In fact, we have had that success in any war that, that uh, Blacks haven't fought in, and we haven't had one. Uh, America would not be the same country or win these wars without all cultures fighting in the same direction. Sadly, we weren't integrated in, in World War I, but we were, for the most part, in World War II. And the military would help move the country forward. But I don't judge. I just study. And Lincoln, by the end, frees blacks, gives them a shot, understands that they have a right to get educated. And when he sees the, how, how happy they are to have someone in their corner, to see Frederick Douglass and see his intellect, he began to realize what we all know, that it's just a matter of education. There's nothing in anybody's genes that makes any race or any gender any different from any other. Hey, Brian, one thing I respect so much about your writing is how passionate you come across, not only when you're talking about it, but it, it comes through in your writing. What like critical questions do you want the reader to be asking when they are reading these words on the page? And what are you trying to draw out in the reader? Number one, I mean, I think Lincoln was uh, really, really bright. Uh, he's so intuitive. And then Frederick Douglass, his intellect is another level. I mean, it's the thing he overcame to become the smartest guy in the country is stunning. But they're always learning and evolving. And the other two is self-made men. I mean, you have a lot of these activists out there, these race hustlers that don't want to hear that. America is imbued with racism. You're never going to be successful. And you have these people here who are literally born a slave and see nothing but opportunity. And I want people to walk away, close that book and go, man. I feel terrible complaining about anything. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've, and not to fast forward to my current project, but if you read Who Knew Each Other, by the way, Booker T. Washington, Booker T. Washington goes, there's no doubt about it. It's harder for blacks in America, or, or he said Negroes in America, than whites. But by the time we break through and successful, we're going to be so battle-hardened and smart and resourceful 
will be unstoppable for other generations. We'll have more reason for pride. Like it or not, there are people that don't like the three of us. They will look at us for whatever reason, don't like our families, the way we look. We're not tall enough, big enough, too short to, whatever it is. Are you going to focus on why they don't like us or find a way to move forward with your goals, win them over along the way if it's possible, but life is about overcoming? I mean, for Douglas, who was literally fighting for freedom, getting that freedom and knowing at any moment I could be recaptured and killed. And for Lincoln, same thing. Every day was the struggle. Mom dead at a young age. Dad wants no part of him, licensing him out to other people, struggling, walking miles to pick up any book to bring back and understand, to be a lawyer with very little money, fighting for the people who are downtrodden. Um, and to have Lincoln lose a bunch of elections and not let them get him down, even though we now look at his writings and say this guy definitely about to depression. How many people watching us right now about the depression and they think it's weakness? Well, how you deal with the the the, the lot that you that you live with defines who you are. And Lincoln, in retrospect, there was no mood altering drugs, uh, there was no edibles, uh, there was no prescriptions to fill or Obamacare to overcharge. So he had to find a way to live with it, while at the same time getting married to a woman who also had mood swings and losing two children while in the White House presiding over a civil war. So the next time you complain and say America is, uh, is not fair to me, understand the people that built the country. It was so far from fair, it doesn't even belong in the same sentence. Uh, you know, as we're sitting here watching everything, like I, I'm recording you and you're on different areas and everything, America is so much different, but so much the same. We're still suffering through a mental health crisis. We're still suffering through trying to get to that point. And it's it's just people tend to not look back in history. They look at the past 20 years. They look at the past 40 years and go, okay, that's history. But they don't look anything farther beyond that. Now, there is a couple. I know you're short on time today, but there's a couple things I want to hit on about you. You know, you're very passionate about history, immensely passionate about history. Your, your origins, though, are in sports. Have you ever thought about writing, getting into the writing about a sports figure? And if so, which one? Uh, good question. No, I mean, I don't think I do biographies. I always think, you know, people got to give up 10 years of their life and do it to do it right. The Ron Chernow's of the world and most of those people have, are not living. But I mean, people, fat. I mean, that's the only thing that fascinates me where Aaron Judge fits in history. You know, what it means, the fact that I could look up for the thing I love about baseball is the history. The fact is you could, what's going on? Well, it's World War II. That's why Ted Williams is not playing. You know, the Korean War is happening. That's why he's fighting. That's Joey Matt. And you see America through time playing through all these things. And then just to see that Roger, that Babe Ruth black and white photo next to the Roger Maris film photo next to the Aaron Judge video photo or streaming photo. That to me is what I enjoy most. And you wonder how these players would have played against each other. That, that interests me. But I almost feel as though like sports would, I, I like to have people, I mean, I see the Jim Thorpe book and I understand he's a historic figure. I know I have Muhammad Ali, I worship growing up, but I just don't think I could do with those bios better than it's out there. But it's just fascinating to look at baseball and boxing and pin it to times in American history. Who was the champion at the time? How was America moving? America, the racist country, worshiped Joe Lewis. He was their most 
popular athlete in the world. If we were that bad, why are we looking up to this black fighter? You know, remember Jim Jeffries was going to save the white race, the great white hope. And you go back, well, what was going on in America at that time? Boom, direct line to what's happening in politics and society and around the world. Uh, Jack Johnson beats him to beats him senseless. He retired undefeated, had to lose a whole bunch of weight. Only by the time he lost the weight, plus he was outmatched by a guy who knew how to box and, and uh, Jack Johnson, that type of stuff as relates to America, but not the athlete himself, although I do enjoy those moments. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up boxing because both of my brothers are boxers in the 80s. And they, you know where they used to box is in Jersey City in uh, Patterson, Blue Costello's gym. Wow. You talk about culture shift. You have, you know, I used to go down to the gym with them and say, three really white guys going out to the gym where it's it's a, just a multi multicultural environment and it, nobody really cared. Nobody they wanted cared. The, they wanted the fight. And whoever was, it doesn't matter what color you were, if you were the fight and you had the heart, you're going to get at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I played soccer uh, when no one was playing soccer. I guess my first year was 1972. I was in first grade or, or kindergarten, whatever it was, and no one was playing. And as you excelled, the thing is, there was no Americans. Uh, on my college team, I was one of three Americans. But I never cared. And I just said, okay, that guy's from Tobago. That guy's from Israel. This guy's from Greece. Uh, this guy's from Jamaica. Uh, this guy's from Yemen, Somalia. And that's just off the top of my head. Oh, Colombia was big, uh, two or three players from there. And all I thought was, what's typical? Well, if you're a, if you're from Somalia, most likely a forward. Jamaica, they freaking great uh, tacklers, not, my, not great hustlers, great burst of speed. You want discipline as the Israelis. And that's how I thought about it. Maybe it was stereotyping, but that's who you played against. So you build a tolerance because why wouldn't you? If you're going to be a racist, it's too much effort. Oh, what do I hate about that culture? What do I hate about this guy? So you just you just accept people and you say, how are we going to come together? I think soccer was the best training I ever had. I, I'm from a working class white community, but I never heard anything negative about the black community. It just never came up. And when soccer was all different races and, uh, and ethnicities, it seemed natural. But would I feel differently if I turn on the television every hour and there's somebody on television telling me how unequal it is for immigrants, how bad it is for blacks, whites, women, Asians. If I heard that every day grinded into me, would I feel differently? And I sense the answer would be yes. And that's why a lot of people are growing up today so aware that they have some reason to complain about something. And if not, we're going to complain about things that don't even add up on the chart of, 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 uh, of our population. That's transgender, changing pronouns, binary, bathrooms. I mean, you're really, um, you're really advanced in society if that is going to be your focus, because it revolves around so few, and that to me is our trumped up issues. But you know, maybe it was easier for us. We had the six o'clock and eleven o'clock news, <laughs> and a newspaper that was delivered in the afternoon. Hey, I, I, when when you were talking there, I was really thinking about just in our current culture, as we're witnessing and watching every day, the breakdown of the family and all of the research and what you pour into these books and what you're learning, how, how does this inform you in your own life with your family, with children, with what, what, when you learn something, how do you actually become that better father, that better husband, that better uh, citizen um, when you're learning these things? I think just sharing what I learned, but not acting like I know everything, which I don't. And I don't know if I do it consciously, but 
like when I'm studying on these projects, I'm always saying, did you know, did you know this? Did you know that? Also, you get a chance, like, for example, two of my daughters are playing college soccer right now. You talk to all these parents, they have older kids, they have younger kids, they got kids that are, uh, play different sports. Just hearing how they handle different things with coaches, with life, with academics, the transition to the real world. I find myself, it's always like a parent university. So I always find myself learning. I never grow, I never get up with the sense that I know everything. I'm the other way. I mean, even when I was coaching soccer, I played till I was from five to 22, along the way, still coaching various teams through college and things. And when I started coaching again, my son's team, when he was three or four, I went back and took the C course coaching course, the B coaching course, the A coaching course, the national coaching course. I took the advanced national because I wanted to know what everyone had learned and how to teach it. Think about this. If someone said to you, teach this man or woman to read. Okay, where do I start? When did I learn my ABCs? When did I learn the sounds? What's the best way to approach that? What should be visual? What should be audio? I don't even know, but yet I can read and I can talk and I can sound things out. I just don't know how to, you've got to learn to teach it. So to me, I, I, I'm not burdened by uh, arrogance on anything that I can remember. Well, Brian, I do appreciate you coming on. And I do like your quote today. I don't judge. I just study. I yeah. like that. It's the truth. You just have to. You have to continuously learn. And that's why I like having guests like you on. That's why I like having co-hosts like Steve. Because we could just bounce some stuff off of you. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next book. Really looking for your the follow-up to this as well. So definitely want to have you back on for that. Yeah, the, the follow-up what I'm focusing on is Douglas gave the speech 10 years after the assassination of Lincoln about the freedom statue, which is so controversial today. Douglas didn't love it. And then what happened after the assassination, how the, the his body uh, went on a train so the whole country could see the sacrifice our 16th president made. And we had like a, basically a national day of mourning. Also fascinated to find out that the South was even more disappointed because all he talked about was reconciliation. And he was worried that this country didn't feel that way. They wanted revenge. Lincoln was going to make sure it was forgive, but you got to ask for it. And that's what I thought in those next 25 pages, if you're going to pick up the paperback, that you'd have something extra to read. Absolutely. The book is The President and a Freedom Fighter by Brian Kilmeade. Thanks a lot, Brian. We'll see you again soon. Thanks, guys.